Hello, guys. I'm Henrique de Almeida, the drum set coach, changing the world one drum at a time. I'm here with the musicians on the record. Hit it! Hi, welcome to Musicians on the Record. I'm David Ward. This is the show where we get the musician's story, and this guy is a musician's musician, drummer, educator, author, professor at Berklee College of Music, for God's sakes. Henrique de Almeida is on the show today. Welcome, Henrique. Welcome, you guys, and Dave, thanks for doing so much for the drum community. I love that kind of stuff. Uh, drummers, uh, good community of uh, people and just this is good stuff so thanks for inviting me absolutely my pleasure thank you for making the time to be on the show and you were just teaching today can you say a little bit about what you've been teaching yeah i, t I taught today right up to the hour uh the guy that i just taught last his name is owen phillips and he's one of my top students he's gonna be uh coming to berkeley in september in about a month or two months, right? And uh, he's amazing. I met him at Berkeley on the percussion intensive weekend, and I have been preparing him for the Berkeley College of Music. So we are working on styles, Brazilian styles, Afro-Cuban styles, pop rock styles, such as shuffles and eight-note grooves, 16-note grooves, reggae, uh, country and western. Um, he's working some jazz stuff. Um, you know, he's reading, a lot of reading, snare reading and chart reading. So he's ready. He's a beast, this guy. So today we actually talked about reggae. We had a lesson on reggae, uh, a style that he's not very familiarized with yet. So we talked about One Drop, Ska, Rocksteady. Uh, we talked about some uh, reggae artists, and I played a little bit for him because I teach live on Skype a lot. And, um sent some tracks. Um, the, the student before him actually came to the studio. He comes every week. He's actually an engineer. He's 70-something. He plays as a hobby. This guy, he builds connections to, you know, those big uh, wire things that you put on an airplane when they're waiting. Yeah. He designs that stuff. But he plays drums. So today we... <laughs> We just played a couple of swing tunes. He played a funk tune. He just played a lot today because uh, there is no homework for this guy. Just playing tunes. He just played tunes, and he loves it. Um, the student before that was uh, Felipe, a Brazilian guy that's working on my hand technique book. So we just work on hands with him. Uh, and the student before that is also somebody who is coming to Berkeley already, auditioned and got the, the gig. And uh, we're working on the snare drum reading with these other students. So. Wow. Yeah, so, I mean, these are some of the best musicians at the, in the world. You're teaching at Berkeley, and you are teaching these students. Uh, but whether you work on airplanes as well, you can still play the drums. How did, it, how did it come to be, Henrique, that you got the gig at Berkeley? How did that happen? Uh, I, uh, first of all, I did go to Berkeley. I was a student at Berkeley. Uh, I went to, to Boston in 88. I used to play with... Uh, a big pop star in Brazil named Alceu Valença, which he's still in Brazil now. So I w I'm from Recife, Brazil, but I moved to Rio and I worked for RCA Records, tour around the world with this guy. He played in soccer stadiums. We did radio, we did TV, all kinds of stuff. I visit Berkeley, freaked out. I want to come to Berkeley. I quit that gig right after high school because I'm touring with this guy while I'm in high school at the same time. Wow. So we did Carnegie Hall, we did Olympia in Paris, all of that. I visit Berkeley in 85 or 86. I freak out, said, I want to come here. I quit that big gig to become a student. So I was already 20-something. And uh, I came to Berkeley, I believe, in 1988 to a summer program. Uh, I started in the summer and uh, graduated in jazz composition, left Berkeley, uh, went to Southern Miss, got a master's degree under Dr. John Wooten, amazing teacher. And, you know, it had my career, but I, I never lost connection with Berkeley because the guy who became the chairman, John Ramsey, uh, was my mentor, my teacher. He studied with uh, Alan Dawson. He's the guy who wrote the Alan Dawson book. Yeah. 
So I always send him music, you know. So then I joined the Air Force Band, and I was on the Academy in Colorado Springs, and I did this record, and I sent it to him, and he sent these emails, saying, holy buckets, man, you sound like Billy Coven, this and that. He said, you got to go to New York. And I said, ha-ha, do you have a job for me? He goes, actually, Mike Mangini just resigned from Berkeley because he's going to be playing with uh, Dream Theater. I can't hire you because there is a process, but I think you should apply. So I applied, and there was a lot of drummers. At some point, uh, I had a spy because John couldn't really tell me who was applying, right? Yeah. But I have a, a friend of mine who teaches at Berkeley, and I was like, hey, who, who, else do you, who else is on this thing? And when he started telling me the names of the drummers, I was like, there is no way I'm going to get this. <laughs> but I did get it, you know, went from I don't know how many, 60 to 50 to 40 to 30 to 15. I was a, a five finalist. And they flew me over there, and I, you know, I got the gig, and uh, I'm on my, I think this is my 23rd semester, uh, without a break. <laughs> you need a vacation, Henry. <laughs> I do, I do, I do. So I, I'm actually taking a vacation uh, in four weeks. I'm on a five-week program right now, so three more weeks, and then I do a whole week of recording, and then I'll take a week off. But... Uh, yeah, since 2011, I did uh, fall, spring, summer, fall, spring, summer, fall, spring, summer, fall, spring, summer. <laughs> that's busy. Now, that's a fascinating part of your story where you were already touring the world and playing with a major act and then got to Berkeley, went to school. Usually people are going to Berkeley or a music school to get where you got. Uh, what was it about Berkeley that attracted you and said, I got to go here? My my dad was a chemical engineer. He's retired now, but my dad loved jazz, and he he had an entire Pablo record. Do you remember Pablo Records? Was the competition for Blue Note Records? Yes, I think so. Yeah. They had a small roster, but was like check this roster, right? It's like Milt Jackson, Dizzy Gillespie. Uh, who else was there? Um, Oscar Peterson, Ron, not Ron Carter. Uh, this bass player who has a uh, like a huge name, something Peterson, I can't remember the name now, Joey Pass, Mickey Rocker. So I, when I was a kid, I listened to a lot of jazz. Mm. And I start reading about the history of jazz, and I learned that drums is a jazz instrument. And that's my passion for jazz. Started very young, and the bands that I was playing, uh, pop music in Brazil, Brazilian pop music, was beautiful music, but the 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 people are not really into the instrument instrumental development and uh, back on the day you know it's a lot rock and roll it's a rock and roll life you know the life of the party and sure. and girls and not a lot of practice i remember waking up every day with my pad going for breakfast and the rest of the band would be coming back from whatever they <laughs> so it was a different focus but uh, yeah that's why I, I really came to Berkeley just to to become a better drummer which later changed because once I start having years training and arranging and I got a degree in jazz composition writing music I it went from be, to be a good drummer to try to be a, a, a better musician and now that I'm married with two kids I have Max and Miles and um Max is 10 and Miles is 7. Uh, it's a whole other, it's not only about drums and it's not only about being a good musician, but what can I do with my skills to help humanity? I know it's kind of tacky to say that, but I love to teach and I, I teach a lot. Like two Saturdays ago with uh, with the five week, I think we have 130 drummers on this, on this summer camp. Uh, so I we, we teach massively. We teach a lot students so i think that's why berkeley teachers are very good you know because of the amount of of uh of the teaching but i came to berkeley to be a better drummer and berkeley really prepared me to the life after berkeley which i i uh, have to say very blessed to have a very successful career after berkeley and i thank berkeley for that you know i bought my first house four years after me my graduation and I, I do, you know, good living, playing drums and teaching, you know. Yeah. And when did you first pick up the drums or music in general, Henry? 
My mom tells me that when I was four years old, I was getting uh, wood spoons on the kitchen and banging on pots and, you know, and uh, buckets and putting things on. Uh, when I was a kid in Brazil, there's things that you put plants on top of it. I would take the plant out, like a little tripod, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how to call those things. But you know what I mean? It's metal things that you put plants sure. on. Top of it. Yeah, plants. And I would put a bucket on it or yeah. I put a pans and play on it and birthdays i always want drums but you guys are like today because when i was a kid kids drums are made of uh you know cardboard and real skin right wasn't as durable as now but you know that's how i started that's amazing any important teachers for you yeah my first drum set teacher i was 10 years old and i i i Played drums my own way. I didn't know a drum set, but I had a snare drum, a tam-tam, and a hi-hat, and I played along with, with records. But my first drum lesson was on a Academia Zenil de Maria in Brazil. And this guy was a guy, he didn't read, he didn't have a lot of technique, but he was a professional musician on the night. You know, he played on clubs. Yeah. So I spent a year with this guy. I don't even know his last name, but his first name was Zezinho. And what he told me every week was a groove. Okay, my first class was to learn this. Remember, this is 1978 now. So the first groove that I learned was, you know, like a, a surf beat, right? I, I even remember the song. Do you remember the song? Yes. Uh, I think it's uh, Beach Boy, whatever. The next week would be Bossa Nova. He's a Bossa Nova group. Okay. And then we play songs. The next week would be a Mambo. So after a year with this guy, I still didn't know how to read or didn't have a lot of technique, but I was playing like crazy because I knew the grooves, you know. Amazing. I had no idea of verse, scores, or forms. Right. So I could keep time in different styles, you know. And how so, old were you with, when this was happening? I was about, uh, what is that, 13, I guess, right? I was born in 65. This is 78. Yeah. 78. And yeah. playing in clubs at 13? Well, I was playing uh, with bands, friends of mine, right? Playing with bands. I did play, start playing in restaurants in Brazil when I was about my first gig. I think I was 15 or 16. I was in the conservatory at the time on the afternoon having a, a theory class and sitting on a classroom. And this guy comes in panicking to talk to the other teacher. He He's the singer on a steakhouse in Brazil and his drummer could make it. He was looking for a drummer that day yeah. and he got nobody. So my teacher said, this guy... By, by, the, by that time, I could read and stuff. This kid can read, and he, he has good drumming or whatever. He recommended me. So my dad actually drove me to the steakhouse with my drums. It was my first gig was playing for the uh, happy hour on a, on a steakhouse in Brazil. And uh, that was my gig for a little bit. <laughs> That's great. So, How'd it go? <laughs> was good. You know, I'd be screamed at and, uh, you know. Uh, they wanted me to play all those styles that I really didn't know. It was, was a very good experience and learning experience. And um, I actually did this little gig for a long time. And then my teacher, uh, it, no, at the same time, I'm playing with my peers, right? Playing Brazilian music here and there and with bands. But my teacher from the conservatory, Mauricio Chiapeta, which he passed away, he was touring with Francis Heim which is the a guy that writes a lot with uh, Tom Jobim, you know, the guy who wrote Girlfriend in Panama. Oh. And Francis Heim, I believe he's still alive. Okay. Francis is uh, F-R-A-N-C-I-S, Francis. Yes. And Heim's, it, Heim is H-I-M-E, I believe. Great piano player. And they were passing by the city when my teacher got sick and I had to sub. I sub for him and played with Francis Heim for a while. And Francis Heim, manager, was the manager of Alceu Valencia, Gilberto Gil, all the big acts. So that's how I got to move up on this, from a club to Francis Heim to Alceu Valencia to the upper 
you know, was because of the management was the same. So, And was there a dream developing, Henry? Did you want music to go someplace specific for you? I remember, I remember uh, as a kid, I lived on the beach in Brazil, and my dad used to have those. Remember back on the day, people had sound systems, right? Like, like the big speakers, and was like with the amplifier. My dad had this nice sound system, and I remember laying down on the floor, and I wish I had the time to listen to music as much as I did back then, because listening is so important. I'm guilty to say I'm not listening as much as I did when I was in Brazil, actually. I listened to a lot of music as a teenager in high school. And I would I would lay down and I would listen to every Jack Dijonette record that I could put my hands on. I would listen to uh, a lot of ECM music. John Marshall, I don't know if you know those drummers. John Marshall, uh, John Christens, Young Gabarek, uh, Keith Jarrett, Pat Metheny. That's what I was listening to a lot. Weather Report, Billy Carbon, Buddy Rich, Louis Belson. Uh, I was listening to John Bohan. I was listening to uh, Mitch Mitchell. I was. This is prior to Berkeley, you know. I was listening to um, New Pert. I was very eclectic listening, and of course, all the Afro-Cuban stuff, all the Brazilian stuff. So I was listening to everything. But my dream was one day to be able to play jazz like Jack Dijonette he, for a while. That's all I want to do is like play that music and play with that. He had a record uh, that he won a uh, prize. It was a uh, special edition. It's a purple cover and had a lot of great songs in there. It has one that was, you know, it's like really crazy stuff. And I got to meet him and talk to him and uh, years later. But my dream, I just listened to Jack Dijonette quite a lot. I, I'm so I did for a while. I was listening to Jack Dijonette and I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And uh, the, the record 8 and 81 with Pat Metheny, um, just amazing. And then Peter Erskine, I got into Peter Erskine. And uh, of course, Vinnie and Steve Smith, and that's much later. But but Jack was a big influence on me, and uh, uh, Ed Blackwell. Do you know Ed Blackwell? I'm not familiar with that. Well, check this record out. It's called. There is a band called All the New Dreams. It's Ed Blackwell, um, Charlie Hayden, um, uh, Joshua Redman. Duo Redman, Joshua Redman's dad. Okay. And there is no piano or guitar on those records. Mm. And man, you gotta check check this song called Togo with Ed Blackwell going on the hi hat like this. And he's in he was from New Orleans, this guy, you know, it's crazy. So my dream was just really the dream on the beginning was not even like my dream really was like I guess you can call a wish was to be able to play like those guys. You know, that's all I want to do because, you know, when you're a kid, you're naive, you know, I, I'm not thinking about anything else, but my dream really was like, man, if I could play like Jack Dijonette, if I could play like Ed Blackwood, if I could play like uh, Papa Joe, I just want to play like my heroes. That was the dream at first, you know? Yeah. And Jack Dijonette, obviously an incredible drummer. If folks don't know him, Google him. And so when was that first break for you, Henrik, that this passion of music and drumming went from, you know, just following your idols and, and having that hobby to saying, I might be able to do this for a living. I, I would like to, I, one thing that was very important and the kind of, how you say pivotal, yes. right? Yes. Was when my teacher got sick and I have to go to this theater to sub with Francis Heim. That was the first famous guy that I ever played in my life, right? So I go in a theater and I remember there was a drum set on the stage. This is like a, a grand piano, upright bass, saxophone, and a percussionist, right? Okay. The drums is there. My dad drives me there. As soon as he saw me, he didn't want to hear me because he said, this got to be a joke, right? This guy, really, he's the sub. Mm. You know, he, I remember him be very upset. Yeah. And then somebody calmed him down and I start playing. 
He was not very happy about it, but I don't think he had many choices because I could read. He had a little book, and the music was very sophisticated. It was like a Brazilian bossa nova, like he played in theaters, you know, kind of classy kind of stuff. So so I played a gig that night. He liked and took me on the road for the rest of the tour that my teacher couldn't do, right? So I ended up doing a little tour with him. And... I remember the band be on the bus and he would not be with the band. He would be, he would fly. We didn't even hang. People thought we were like buddies. You know, you only see him on the sound check. Oh, you know, he would go on the sound check and he sees the band and then he would go to, you know, he's like very famous guy. And the band would go back on the bus, go to the next city. But that, that, what that did for me is I developed a relationship with this guy. I think his name was Lessa. He was the manager of this guy. But he also managed a bunch of other guys. So sometimes when I start having things that I had to fly, flying back home with less, I would be bugging him. I was just 16, 17 years old. I'll be like, man, you got to hook me up with uh, without say what you back to shit's not ready. So I kept bugging him and bugging him and bugging him, right? So that connection put a, you know, a bug on his ear. So one year, during Carnival, uh, when is this of ashes? It's the last day of Carnival. I got a call. No, take back. Before that, this manager takes an artist from Brazil to Sao Paulo, which is the Brazilian New York, right? Okay. To do this record that is being uh, produced by, by Alceu Valença, which is like a Brazilian sting, this guy, right? Okay. So I spent a week or two doing this record, and now this big name guy watch me work for a whole week, right? So then I go back home, and Brazil has this amazing show called Rock in Rio. You can Google that on uh, YouTube and put our silver lens, and then you see the type of crowds, thousands, if not, I don't know how many. It's like a, it's the same amount of crowd that ACDC would have. You know, this is huge. So right after this thing, he fired the drummer. So I got a call on on Carnival Wednesdays of Ashes and say I I, I answered the phone I'm, I'm living with my parents and it's already late I think my parents are sleeping and I'm with my brother still up and this guy says I'm looking for Henrik Almeida this is Wellington Braves I am our Silva Lancers manager and I said F you right I think it was you know back on the days people yeah. do that you know like crank call. Yeah, because that was still phone, you know, that yeah. you die with your hand. Yeah. So then the phone rings again, and then my brother said, oh, it's probably such and such. We probably thought it was one of a friend of ours. And then I said the same thing. I cussed this guy up and hung up the phone. So then Lassa, that guy that I know, called me, and I said, oh, I knew it was you. He said, no, dude, you better answer. This is for reals, you know. Wow. I recommended you finally. I said, oh, snap. So the guy calls again. I answer. And this was this was a day that I never forget in my whole life, because probably an hour later, Alceu Valencia and his whole not his whole band, his guitar player and his keyboard player, and his manager walk into my house, wow. right? The guys with the big hairs because they want to meet me, amazing. and that was amazing. Imagine like somebody that is a star just walking, right. you know? It was really surreal, and then. I remember also being very excited about talking to me and ask the managers kind of trying to figure out if I'm in school, how old I am and if, if I can go on the road. But also is already, where's your drums? You know, do you know my music? So I don't know what's going on, which later, you know, what was happening. I was being hired to go on. The, I was in the band. Amazing. Like this guy wanted me to be on the band, right? Past the so, audition. <laughs> Yeah, because he already knew my work, right, right? right? So I go downstairs. I had these crappy drums. First thing he says, like, you're going to need new drums. But I don't know what's happening, right? right. You know my music? I said, yes, I play a little bit. He said, tomorrow I'm going to come here and bring some records. Anyway, to make a long story very, you know, a little shorter, I got the gig with him. He came to my house the next day with a guitar, which was really funny because Everybody in my house, the maid and, the, and the, my brother, and if everybody's asking for autograph, you know. Yeah, yeah. And he, I'm just hanging with Alceu Valencia for a week. That was amazing. <laughs> you know, playing guitar and learning the songs. Two weeks later, we go to his house. He has many houses all over the country, but yeah. this house is a big house where we rehearsed for a week. 
and we we flew to Rio. My dad had to go to the judge to get something called emancipation, yes. and he was now in my cousin. I I I went to his house in Rio de Janeiro, wow. a loft in Copacabana, really fancy stuff. And then the guy goes to New York and say, "What is your drum set that you need?" So I put my drum kit with Paiste cymbals. I think it was a Gretsch drums, eight, ten, twelve. 14, 16, 20, and now I'm in Rio de Janeiro in this studio, this brand new kit, and we're about to rehearse for a week to go on the road with Alceu Valencia. And that was the biggest break I ever had in my life. And I'm not even 18 yet. And I'm going to, I remember the first gig and uh, we record and I start to hear my music on the radio, on TV. It was crazy, man. It was crazy. It was a dream come true for a kid, right? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And your folks sound like they were very supportive of this. Your dad driving you to gigs. Uh, how were they feeling about all of this? For you? My mom always, my mom always was the one that said I could do whatever I wanted to. My dad was kind of a he didn't want initially for me to be a musician because he knew it was kind of hard life, especially in Brazil. So my dad was always like, I, I don't want to say negative, but my dad was always like, you know, when I used to draw the the drums of my dreams yeah. before that happened. I tell my mom, you know, as a kid, one day I'm going to have those spicy symbols and a drum like that. My mom used to say, yes, you will. You know, but my dad would be like, yeah, you think things are easy. You know, my dad work a lot. He was just like, he drove me to the conservatory. Think that I was going to quit. Oh, you want to be a drummer? I'm going to enroll you in the conservatory. Dig that name conservatory. Right. <laughs> but I wouldn't quit, you know, it's in, um, <laughs> After I got this big gig, it was interesting because I was making more money than anybody in the family. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> shut up. <laughs> right. So really great. So that was a big, uh, a big break, and to live a life that's totally out of the reality is very surreal. Because when you're in a situation like that, it really doesn't matter what's going on in the country, political, economical, because all you do is is rehearse, yeah. go on this mega tour, go to the beach. You either rehearsing or recording is, is a really weird life, man. Yeah. I, I remember flying girlfriends, you know, to Rio or, you know, it's, it's so weird. You go on a store, you can buy whatever you want. It's, it's like, a, I'm glad I did that and took out of my system because my values now are so different, you know? Yes. Yeah. But, you, had, you had that experience, but clearly teaching is in your DNA as well. And one of the things I wanted to talk about is the drumsetcoach.com. It's in addition to Berkeley, your private drumming teaching community. Talk a little bit about that, Henrik. Yeah, I started teaching in Brazil even before I got those breaks. I was so I always like to teach, you know. I think it's I was born a teacher, I guess. I always like to teach. And as I progress on those gigs, especially when I got this big gig, my friends would come to my house and I would teach them. When I was at Berkeley, I I was a student at Berkeley and I, I was teaching a lot of people when I was a student at Berkeley, you know. And I had a room at Fenway Hall, I mean Fenway Park, a studio there. And I taught my whole life. When I graduated from Berkeley and I went to Southern Miss, I was a teaching assistant. And then when I left Southern Miss to join the Air Force, I opened a school, the drum set, uh, Percussion Institute of Colorado. So I've been teaching my whole life pretty much. And I love to teach. I love to be a student. I love to learn. And I'm very blessed that I I studied with some of the best teachers in the world. Gary Shafee, Alan Dawson, Jim Shaping, Freddie Gruber, uh, Bob, um, Bob Moses, John Ramsey. I mean, I was very, very lucky to have amazing teachers. So I, I learned how to teach with my teachers, you know. It's incredible, incredible. We were talking the other day, and you were mentioning this concept of how do you practice space playing with other musicians, and I, that just blew me away. Please talk a little bit more about that and what it means. Well, you know, we drummers, we kind of get caught up on, a, on the drumming thing. Um, I think any instrument can get caught up on that. Of course you need to learn the way I teach is a hand technique first, and then hand and foot technique, feet technique, coordination, building a house, right? And then stylistic coordination, the jazz coordination, Afro-Cuban coordination, Brazilian coordination, pop and rock coordination, because different styles 
will require your your voices on the drums and your limbs to behave differently. When you play jazz, you know, the, you're pro really propelling a lot of the time with your right hand on the right cymbal if you're a right-handed guy. When you play pop rock, you know, the backbeat and the bass drum is so important. When you play Brazilian music, if you're playing samba, you're actually propelling the time with your right foot on the bass drum. You know, so you have to be coordinated to do that. Reading, chart reading and snare drum reading, that's some uh, area that a lot of people need to work. So it's so much stuff that not a lot of people talk about the things that every musician have in common, because when you play with a guitar player and a piano player and a saxophone player, whatever, they don't really, they don't know paradiddles and drum techniques and, and, you know, they don't know the intricacies of your instrument. They know the intricacies of their instrument. So when they, when you present yourself in a situation that you're going to play with other people, what are they looking at? The immediacy of the situation is the sound that you're producing, right? The sound that has to do with uh, your your drum heads, your your size of your drums, the 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 sticks that you use, the type of cymbals. If if this is all appropriate to that style, which has to do with listening, right? If you if you're playing with the upright, I give you an example about two summers ago. In one month, I played with uh, Dave Ellison from Megadeth. I did a record in two with Stevie Hunt, acoustic trio with Bruce Gertz on upright bass, and he's playing acoustic piano on a little jazz kit. And I did a record with my Afro-Cuban fusion band. That's three different setups, three different touch, one very soft, one extremely loud. So your sound, think about your sound, you know. Also, think about your intention, you know, how you practice intention because everything that you play should have a purpose uh if you get four amazing drummers that has amazing skills and and they play with the same band but one of them the choices that he's making is benefiting the entire group right that really has nothing to do with your ability to play the drums has to do with your ability to make good decisions that's going to benefit the group Right. Because if I'm playing with musicians, my first priority is to serve them. Right. Make sure that everybody's comfortable. I'm there to serve that situation. What do you mean by that? I'm making sure that that I'm doing everything that I can for the bass player to be comfortable, for the for the guitar player to be able to do what he's going to do if there is a singer I'm not saying that they need me to do that, but I'm there not to impose anything, but to make sure that I'm serving that. Right. Then the second level of that is to serve the music. What is this music calls for? What is what? And that can be if there is no rehearsal. I have to think like that in a second, right? What are some of the things that I can do here that's going to make this music sound good, right? And thirdly is the audience. Serve the audience. What is happening right now that's most important for the audience? Is the singer singing now? Is that a guitar solo? Is that a bass solo? Is that a drum solo? Is that my time to do something? Mm. So his, this stuff has to do with observing in, in, in the moment. And those decisions hopefully will be based on experience and by listening. And um, so you have to learn new things right you have to educate yourself and learn technique and learn styles and do all that after you have a lot of knowledge right not after during the gaining knowledge you have to test your knowledge meaning you go to a gig and you mess up right you you make a choice that didn't turn out the way you want or didn't uh, people didn't like that choice whatever it is that you make so then you go to another gig, you make that same choice, and then people don't like that choice again. The third time, you can say, I'm going to try something different, because the last two times I tried this, didn't work. Mm -hmm. So you try something that works, and then you try something that works again. Now, not only you have the knowledge, you're becoming wise, yes. because you like, the experience is dictating, well, I, I did that 10 times in the work. It's going to probably work now in this situation.
Does it make sense? Yes. Like I did a lot of big band uh, gigs back on the day and recording. So if I have, this is just an example out of a million examples, right? So all of a sudden I'm playing this arrangement, I'm sight reading, and I see the trumpet players putting the mutes on. I look on the chart as I'm playing and I see that there is a trumpet section there. I saw they put in the mutes. I'm going to probably go cross stick. Maybe I'll play the hi-hat with the tip of the stick because it's going to be very nice and pronounced. How do I know that? By listening to recordings that I did that before, right? I'm not going to be playing with the shoulders. It's going to be a little lighter. If there is a singer coming out after that, I see a singer going, I'm going to probably think the same way, right? Now, if I see the trumpet taking the mutes out and they're going like this, and the trombones, I, I know I'm going to shoulder more. I know I'm going to lay into it more. Does it make sense? It does. It's another layer, level of learning, and it's knowing your role on the team, in the band, right? Yeah. 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 So those are things that uh, space, you talk about space. If I'm playing a song that I never played before, and all of a sudden I know it's a lot of notes. Let's say we're going to play one, two, ready, go, and the bass line is... There is no way I can figure this out right away. So I'm going to be, you know, I'm playing strong, but there's a lot of space so I can hear what are we together here? What's going on? Right. Start to. And then and then if you rehearse, I mean, I have a, a fusion trio, the Hanjo Sao trio. And we play songs that sometimes the melody is pretty complex and the bass line is complex, counterpointing to that. So I really need to sometimes really put my bass drum in a lot of places that the bass is playing. Why at least listen to the guitar without playing what he's playing? You know what I mean? So those are things that we need to think about, I think, you know. No question. You also help people build the foundation of their musical houses, Henrik. You have a lot of books. You've authored a lot of stuff around technique. Talk about some of your books and what inspired them. Uh, Most of my books is being written out of necessity. I talk about something that I'm really excited about, my new hand technique book, for instance, right? When I got this gig at Berkeley, I couldn't be practicing six hours, seven hours anymore. I had to be practicing three hours. It just shrunk, shrunk, right? And I like to start with my hands first. So I would go to my office at Berkeley, and I open my file cabinet, and I'll get the John Ramsey book, the Will Coxon book, the uh, Ted Reed book, Nard book, a couple of the Gary Shafey book, my Moeller book. I mean, it's like a pile, right? Then I said, man, I got to find a way to do that a little better. So I start copying just the parts that I use and put on a binder. That's a better idea, right? But then I said, man, I want to memorize, like Alan Dawson made me memorize the ritual. I should have a, a warm-up that I do every day. That, that's how this book started. So this book is not new information, but that, like, have you ever got a cup of coffee and a pad while you're waiting for something or, you know, and then you just waste an hour doing something that you don't even remember? Yeah. Well, this book gives focus because if you – if you do the first portion of this book, it's an hour, you develop your singles, your doubles, your diddles, uh, your molar technique, your finger technique, uh, and then you can rotate every day. You can put maybe buzz, buzz rolls. The next day you can do, you do the core every day, yeah. right? You do singles and doubles, diddles, finger, and that stuff every day in flams. But you rotate buzz rows. The next day I might do uh, something else. So uh, this is a great book you should try. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm having a lot of success. If you want to take a look, go to my YouTube channel. And there is a playlist entitled Student of the Week. Check out a guy named Owen Phillips or Aiden Simmons. Owen already did this entire book and he's not even at Berkeley yet. Take a look at this guy's hands, man. It's unbelievable. So on the fall, uh, the drum set coach is launching the ultimate hand and foot technique. And uh, to talk about the house I'm building here, I always think that every drummer, regardless of your styles, you should be comfortable with your hands and your feet 
in coordination, like I said, in jazz, Afro-Cuban, Brazilian, uh, and then be able to read snare drum rhythms, be able to do chart reading, uh, be able to solo if that's going to be something that you want to be into. And then I go into something that I call electives. You know, you want to start double bass with me. You want to start polyrhythm. You want to start the molar technique. Of course, jazz studies can go into brushes and, uh, you know, forms, 12-bar forms, 32-bar forms, learning repertoire, uh, and so on and so on, you know. And then, then the coaching can get really deep. You know, I coach people now, like, coaching their careers or, you know, if you want to learn how to do a book, write a book. You know, I, there is high-level artists that I'm teaching them not to play drums, but how to write a book or how to produce a record. You know, this record, uh, Samba Song, I wrote all the songs, produced. And this this the way I, I still write the old way. Now people call com- themselves composers, but what they do, they manipulate loop sounds. But if you take a look at Samba Songs, those songs are written on the piano. I have to write all, I still do the old school way. I write all the bass lines, all the chords, write all the melody by hand, and I go rehearse, fix some stuff, go to this, it's like a, it's a process. I like that, you know, I, I'm still, I do use sequence. Uh, if you saw any of my drum mail stuff, if you go to my YouTube channel, there is a song called um, uh, Departure, which is all loops. You know, I use my jazz composition knowledge but it's loops but it's a composition you know but i didn't write any of that i'm just manipulating the sound organizing the sound so the name of that one is uh uh departure which is loops but majority of the time i write the old the old way the old-fashioned way amazing and you're also teaching us at the PASIC conference coming up in november talk about that henry yes uh you know john rams in my opinion uh, today, since Alan Dawson passed, in my opinion, if you have a chance to study with John Ramsey, it's just like study with Alan Dawson. I mean, I study with both of them. John Ramsey is Alan Dawson walking, man. It's like, it's as close as you get, you know. It's like, I never studied with Don Formulado, but I know he spent a lot of time with Jim uh, Shaping. Yes. And I might go on a limb, you might disagree, but you probably, he's probably the closest thing to those guys now, you know, to Jim would be go to Don. So so the thing is, Don, he really uh, talked a lot about the uh, snare drummer guys, you know, like uh, Billy Gladstone and George Lawrence Stone. I really spend a lot of time with the drum set teachers. You know, I spend a lot of time with uh, Gary Shafee and Alan Dawson, Bob Moses. They did more like a drum set, although I did start with Jim Shaping. Uh, but those guys, they teach things a little differently. You know, like, uh, for instance, a lot of the snare drum guys, they teach a lot of the wrist stuff, right? Yes. Which on the drums doesn't relate. As, so my teachers, even the snare drum stuff, is is right ready to go to the drum set. You know the way the way you do things. But um, and do you have an idea of what you'll be teaching at Basic? Yeah, we're going to be talking about the extensions from the teachings of Alan Dawson. Alan Dawson really taught me a lot of things. Um, if you are if you are going to go to Basic and you want to take advantage of this clinic. I would suggest you get the the book as is, the, the John Ramsey book called The Complete Vocabulary as Taught by Alan Dawson, and you start to work on the stuff that's already there because we're going to expand into that stuff. You know, it's basically using Alan Dawson's concepts to everything that we do, and that's something that I am do today, you know. Um, I, I'm inspired by his systems and also – you know, Gary Schaefer was a big influence on me as well of the way he uh, organized his studies. So I'm I'm very influenced by both Gary and Alan in the teach. So that's going to be a great clinic. John Ramsey is going to join me. We're going to open the clinic together. John is going to talk about some of his extensions. I'm going to talk about some of my extensions. Uh, I think John is going to be focused more on the jazz and I'm going to 
uh, do some Brazilian Afro-Cuban, some double bass, some fusion funk and rock stuff, and some soloing, uh, and talk about Alice. So I can't wait to hang with basic with all those drummers. It's going to be great. Sounds incredible. One thing that, uh, that I would like people to know is that, um, you know, like you talk about this gig at Berkeley, right? I played Brazilian music with Brazilian artists. I played Afro-Cuban music with Cuban artists. I played fusion music with fusion musicians. I played big band with people who has ownership to the music. I played with three guys, four guys that actually played with Buddy. I played for many years with Phil Wilson, who wrote... Uh, so many charts for the body rich band, including Mercy, 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 that arrangement is few weeks arrangement. Um, uh, I played on the uh, Greg Hopkins big band, the guy who wrote the arrangement of Natville, hmm. right? Uh, Wayne Oz. So these things that I teach is not from a book, it's from the experience. When I was in the South, I play a lot of blues. So, if you want to hear my music, go to HenrikDeAlmeida.com or go to the Drum Set Coach. I have a great uh, record for you to check out. It's called uh, Steve Hunt is Free of Influence. That's a jazz trio. Uh, Henrik Delmeida and the Brazilian Jazz Project is Brazilian music. I have a duo with Corin Brown, and I don't have that CD in front of me. It's called Do. It's uh, fusion music. Uh, Beyond Borders is uh, global stuff, you know. Amazing. Uh, but you know, check out the drumsetcoach.com because little by little I'm documenting everything that I teach because two years ago I was in a hospital, I was paralyzed. Uh, when I was in the air force, I really injured my back mm -hmm. and that really scared the crap out of me to be paralyzed. Sure. And, uh, I, you know, this whole drum thing, uh, I learned that life is so precious, so fragile, you can stop at any time. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> so I'm cataloging, I'm kind of on a mission to put my teachers on books and document it. God forbid, just in case something happened, yeah. we'll, be, we'll be there for people to learn. But, you know, come and hang out. Go to the drumsetcoach.com. And I have stuff for everybody. So if you don't have time commitment and you don't have financial uh flexibility you can join me every monday on facebook at eight o'clock boston time i do something called the coffee talks and i'm on uh, number 39 coffee talk 39 and i'm going right now i'm going through the book and it's all archived you can watch them right now i leave it there uh eight o'clock is free i have people from all over the world there uh if you have a little bit more commitment i do something called the coaching sessions the coaching sessions is every Saturday at 3 o'clock I go live to a private uh, room. You can sign up for that at the drumsetcoach.com at any time. And I, we give a 12-week course. So it's have 15 minutes hand technique, 15 minutes of uh, hand and foot, 15 minutes of styles, and 15 minutes of reading. That's great. So, And we are week 7 of this. If you join today, you can still watch everything that we did. And so this is like 12-week courses ongoing. It's only $30 a month. So this is like $7. If you want to start with me private, it's $125. So this is a bargain because it's group lessons. Mm -hmm. If you have a little bit more commitment, level three, you can purchase an entire course at the drum set coach. You can purchase my molar course, which is the same that I teach at Berkeley. You can purchase my polyrhythm course, which is the same course I teach at Berkeley. You can purchase... Double bass, Brazilian, Afro-Cuban. And then the next level is really live Skype lessons, which I did today. I only coach 12 people at the time because when you sign up for 12 lessons on Skype, which you can do anytime, uh, you get access to everything on the drum set coach and you get 24-7 access to myself. You can text and, uh, and I see you every week for an hour. So I have students from Germany, Switzerland, Brazil, uh, different parts of the United States. So it's really cool stuff. So those are the people that are really serious about yeah. drumming. Most of them are guys that are going to Berkeley, the majority of those yeah. people. For up-and-coming drummers or someone who wants to study at Berkeley or to get where you are, Henrik, whether you're playing or your amazing teaching that you're doing, what advice would you give drummers and musicians in general? If you wanted to make a career in music, 
and you want this to be something that you're going to make a living out of it. You really need to focus on three things, not one thing, because one thing is for you to be a great drummer and to be able to have amazing drum skills. But if you stop there, you're not going to go anywhere because nobody really cares how great of a drummer you are. They, what they care is they need somebody to do something for them. Can you provide that? So you have to align your drumming skills with a service, right? Can you play on a record? Can you go? Because everybody wants to play with a, a famous people, but can you? If they send the music, can you do that? I mean, last Monday I played with Victor Wooten from the, uh, you know, Bella Fleck and the Flagstone. I got the music Saturday afternoon, transcribed everything on Sunday and played with him on Monday. I mean, how, I mean, I know there's a lot of people that can do that, but if you can't read or write, how you deal with that, you know? Can you show up on a session and read 20 charts? Can you, uh, you know, can you serve the music? Can you do whatever they want you to do with no problem? Because that's what your drum set skills is going to play. Can you do that? Yes. Don't do that. Okay. Can you play this groove? Yes. So, so there is the professional track and the artistic track track on my band the hands of south you i play whatever i want the way i want to play but this is my band but the majority of my career comes yeah is about me as a musician going to a situation and have to serve the needs of a producer or a singer or a school or uh even jumel like remember i go to jumel what we do it's like hey we're gonna go here can you teach this and this and this i'll prepare there is a purpose he's not life is not about you all about you it's about what can you do for humanity so that's the other thing and thirdly think about your business take it serious get organized okay i'm really uh disappointed to let you know that uh nine out of ten artists that i meet they're horrible business uh uh practitioners that they don't they are disorganized they they don't have a schedule. They they really disorganize, and that's something that uh, we can talk about on part two. All the no musical things that you can do to, uh, you know, have a good career in music. You know, Absolutely. and read. Go read. You guys can't read. You read snare and read drum chart. Read. I'm tired of people that can't read. Go read, please. Don't show up at my door at Berkeley and you can't read. You make my day longer. Notice. <laughs> That's fantastic. I don't know if it'll translate on my drum set, Henrique, but I already feel smarter just from talking with you. Henrique, <laughs> Henrique Delmeda, thank you so much for being on Musicians on the Record. My pleasure. <laughs>